On the Empire Podcast this week, we learn more about the true history of the Kelly Gang with the true history of the Kelly Gang's director, Justin Kurtzel. All that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that, quite frankly, right now, stinks of food. <laughs> Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen O'Hara, our geek queen, is here. Hello. How are you, Helen? I am well, thank you. Good, good, good. Uh, did you bring food into the uh, studio this week, Helen? Stinking the place in, out. I didn't bring food into the studio. In fact, I haven't eaten enough all day, um, oh, so I wouldn't. I'd pass food. out halfway through the podcast. That could be bad. That's uh, amazing. I didn't bring any food into the studio huh. today. Stinking so the place out. Who did bring food who into the studio? Who brought today? food into the studio? Stinking the place. Hey, it's Amon Warman. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm 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 well fed. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. Um, shall we set the scene for the listeners at home? Uh, what What's happened? What have you done? So why Why does this studio, this beautiful, pristine studio, <laughs> oh, this grey box of depression, why does it smell of what is it? What am I smelling right now? So let me let me set the scene. There's a reason behind. Turn the this. lights down. <laughs> let me set the mood. Ooh yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> so, on my way in uh, to the Empire offices uh, earlier, t- <laughs> earlier today. No, please stop. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I asked myself, do I have time to knit to Leicester Square? My these favorite. Are the, these are the big questions, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> my favorite Chinese shop in Leicester Square and get some food because I'm very hungry uh-huh. and get to Camden in time to uh-huh. do the Empire podcast? And the answer was yes. My mind was telling me no. <laughs> <laughs> my belly was saying a different story. Uh-huh. I listened to my belly, uh-huh. and now we're here. And now we're here. Great. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Well, I, oh. I look forward to the emails and complaints tomorrow. <laughs> Subject heading, Empire podcast, strange smell. It does. <laughs> it smells very nice. It's very nice. Was it nice? Was it good? It is very nice. It is very good. I still have a little bit left. I'm going to eat it after we have done this. Oh, that's fine. Just yeah. taunt us with your food. <laughs> I have I, eaten, but I still have more food, says I Amon. did offer Chris uh, Oh, you offered vine. Chris food, did you? Hell no, I I see. I turned, it, I turned it down because I, I, I didn't want to be complicit in this, oh but also gosh. I wanted to just remain pure in my body. As you know, Helen is a temple. Yeah, one of those ones in the jungle that's really overgrown hey, and kind of tumbling down. come on. If that means that The Rock, Jack Black, Kevin Hart and Karen Gillan will explore it once every two years... Hang on, wait, that doesn't wait. work. Oh, oh that's, boy. That's gone weird. Wow. Oh, my word. <laughs> Where did that come from? Lara Croft is welcome anytime, right? Lara Croft is welcome to explore my temple. <laughs> no, that's wrong. That's no. a sort of That's a sort of outdated, outmoded, patriarchal attitude that I would expect of you. <laughs> would you? But not of the Empire podcast. And I, I condemn it in the strongest possible terms. So... <laughs> Welcome to the Empire Podcast, everybody. And uh, I just wanted to set the scene in case you were smelling something strange at home. Uh, it does smell very nice, of course. But Actually, uh, if you're smelling something strange at home, uh, you might be <laughs> having some kind of attack or it could be a gas leak. So please do yep. watch out for yourselves. It could be burning toast. Do you smell burning toast? I smell burning toast. I smell almonds. All right, so... <laughs> one of the reasons I won't want to talk about food, apart from the overwhelming uh, pungent smell in the room right now, is uh, that this week's question comes from a listener, and it comes from a listener via Twitter, and it was sent in last week, and I liked it so much, I liked it on Twitter, which is very rare for me. Mm. I don't like many tweets on the old Twitter. I like them, 
I appreciate them at the time, but I don't actually press the like button. It's just a weird thing I have. It's just one of those things. Anyway, the uh, question comes from Jody Everett, at Jody Everett, and it is very, very simple. Avengers as biscuits. Go. <laughs> okay, so I... I've thought I've given this question far too much thought, but I have. Whereas I liked it and then immediately forgot about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that's a good one. I have some options. So okay, um, Bucky. Bucky, uh, we're starting with Bucky. We'll start okay. with Bucky. All right. Uh, I've gone um, for. I'm going to stop you there. He's not an Avenger. Was he in the final battle against Thanos? Lots of people were in the final battle against Thanos. What, answer the question, Chris. Was he in the final battle? I answered the question by saying lots of people were in the final battle <laughs> against Thanos. Anyway, we're not going to quibble about Bucky's Avenger status. I, I will if I hear the answer. Oh my God, bring us the answer. I've gone for Maryland chocolate chip. <laughs> now, you see... Let, I mean, no, let, no. Let, he he let, clearly let, needs something with nuts in it. Let me break this down. Let me break this down. <laughs> he was a hobnob no. for the longest time. But once he went to Wakanda and got rehabilitated in Wakanda. That's what the chocolate chip cookies represent. Represent. You know what I'm saying? I still think it should be like, at <laughs> least if you're going for a Maryland cookie, it should be the chocolate chip and hazelnut because he's a bit, you know, in the head. Okay, isn't, isn't, I can vibe with that. I'm, I'm allergic to nuts, so I didn't I know, I know. immediately go to that, but okay, I can see it. Shouldn't he be some kind of Russian biscuit? Like what, Chris? I don't know. I haven't looked it up, but, you know, <laughs> like... Uh, Digestive like ski. Like a blini. It should be a blini, you're saying. Yes, Helen. Okay. I mean, they're not really a biscuit. As opposed to the one I said. Okay. Digestive so, ski. I'm going with okay. chocolate yeah. chip from Next. Vision. Okay. Vision. 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 Uh, should, we, should we guess? Should we guess? Should he we should make be a, a Kit Kat. Why should Vision be a Kit Kat? <laughs> because it's kind of squarish and a little bit more kind of uh, high tech looking. I, I know what Vision should be. What okay. should Vision be? Vision should be party rings. Ooh. Ooh, you're making me doubt my choice here. Oh, what have you got for Because it? of the brightly coloured, multicoloured yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, I, like it, yeah. I like it. I went for a Mr. Kipling Viennese well. <laughs> that's good, that's um, good. It's very specific. Because, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, just it's, it's a classy biscuit. And, you know, when... You know, it is I, a classy biscuit. I think, it's, I think it's the sort of thing I can imagine Vision sharing with Wanda Aww. after Aww. a Aww. lovely chicken paprikash lunch. <laughs> in, his, in, his, in his little cardigan. You know after, I mean? after she's deep fried his kebab, <laughs> there they are, enjoying a lovely feeling well, as well. he should be shortbread, given that he's so associated with No, Scotland. shortbread is Captain America. Shortbread is Captain America. No. It's to the point, you no. respect him, you no. respect it, but you know, he's, he's, he's Captain America is, bland, is, is a born, <laughs> Captain America is a born snickerdoodle. That's right, Ooh. I said. What the hell is a snickerdoodle? A snickerdoodle for, is a fantastic American biscuit. It's a sort of... Part snicker, part labradoodle. Is that what it is? Sure. It's okay. um, it's kind of like you you make a bowl of biscuit dough, so it's kind of a shortbready biscuit dough, and then you roll it in a mixture of cinnamon and sugar, and oh. then when it bakes, it becomes a, a sugar and cinnamon coated deliciousness, and it's um it's very American, as you can sort of tell by the ridiculous name. <laughs> a snickerdoodle. A snickerdoodle. I think he's a snickerdoodle, and of course, it's the closest word to saying he's a snack. Which also is true. <laughs> I, I, we can't say that. And also, the, also the, 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 the sugary, you know, cinnamony sugary coating represents the colours of Cap's beard, which, as we all know, is peak Cap. Uh, but Sharon Carter is not in this. Hey! Uh, should we not? Should Captain America not be a biscuit that contains within it a hidden cream? So to represent Helen, bear with me. To represent his the super soldier serum that courses through his veins, of course, so that when you bite into it, for example, 
So you're saying he's an Oreo? He's an Oreo. You bite into it and out squirts this creamy stuff. Good Lord. <laughs> what? I think you're doing it wrong. That's all. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, that's what I'm saying. Oh, wow. you're, okay. saying you're saying bland, straight down the middle. No, I never said shortbread. Hey, I like, shortbread, I is like bland. shortbread. Yeah, shortbread is delicious. <laughs> okay, next. I know exactly what I'm being into the empire offices next time. Um, yeah, because it, 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 it doesn't reek. It doesn't <laughs> that's, that's mainly it. Um, Falcon. Falcon. I said this uh, okay. last week. Uh, McVitie's chocolate digestive. Dark chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Whereas Black Panther, I'm going full bourbon. Yeah, I was going to say bourbon for Black Panther as well. Yeah, I was absolutely... Yeah. Bourbon forever! <laughs> <laughs> e bourbon! I'll be honest, I'm, I'm really... No, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm really ashamed to say I don't know much about African biscuits. Is there, is there a big biscuit scene... Uh, in African baking, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know much about it. what. What I do know, um, it's not really a biscuit though. I mean, plantain is a yeah, yeah, very yeah. Cool, and, and there's plantain chips which you can get here, and they Ooh. are oh, those fantastic. are amazing. Yeah, those are incredible. Mm. Um, so it's just definitely the sort of thing I can imagine. Uh, you can eat. You can so find you're saying, Wakanda. If this was a question of what snack is each Avenger, then you were saying plantain chips. Absolutely, that makes that. sense yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, I will absolutely go yeah. with that. Okay, and that's that's as far as I got. Oh come on, we've got many, many more to go. <laughs> All right, to so suggestions. Hulk. I and when I when I thought Hulk initially, I, I'm thinking mint Viscount. Fi- mint I went Jaffa cake. Jaffa cake. What? No. Oh, because of the famous orange Hulk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jaffa cake. Jaffa cake is not a biscuit for a start. If you put it in a tin with biscuits, Ooh, that's, a, that's a whole other debate. Ooh. No, that's, that's a whole right. Other I said it. Right Wars said have it. been fought over this. I know they have. I know they have. And I'm pinning my colours to the mask. <laughs> Do you know I didn't like Jaffa cakes for the longest time, and now I love them. And that's where that story ends. Cool. I don't love them. I will take them if there are no other biscuits available. But no. right. Okay. And they're not really biscuits. Anyway, um, or cakes. They're just this weird middle ground. No, not having them. I would, Hawkeye. Jaffa Hawkeye. cake is Hawkeye. Jaffa cake is Hawkeye. That seems harsh, but I was going to say custard cream for him, and I really don't have a reason for it. Oh wait, no, 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 no. Because Jaffa cake, Jaffa cakes are Natasha. They got the just because uh, the redheaded. No, not just because. Yes, entirely because <laughs> of the redheaded. No, not just because of that. Because they contain hidden, hidden depths. depths. Yeah, okay. And because no one can quite decide what they are. That's a good answer. Are they? Are they cake? Are they biscuit? Are they human? Are they dancer? Nobody knows. <laughs> are they spy? Are they foe? Are they friend? Are they agent? Who knows? Who uh, would Tony be? What biscuit Ooh. is rich? <laughs> but also philanthropic. What, what, what biscuit is a rich tea for Tony? A Viennese uh, with the chocolate in the middle. You know, the, the fingers, not the swirls, but the fingers. Oh, I know, I know exactly. Yeah, 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 the ones yeah, you get yeah, from yeah, M&S, yeah. the really nice ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I see. I see him being those. Yeah. Or or some kind of um, millionaire shortbread kind of biscuits. Because you know, I don't feel like I need to explain that one too much. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, oh, because of the, the millionaire uh, thing. Yes, I get that now. <laughs> Any advances on Tony Stark with the uh, the, the what about Mifoy? Does anyone Mifoy is not a biscuit. No, no, but it's Thor's hammer. I hate that. What would Thor be? Okay, this is interesting. Thor would be a big, he'd be a leb chunky. He'd be a what? A leb cooking, because it's from, you know, middle Europe. <laughs> it's close enough. It's those, you know, the ones you get in German biscuits at Christmas, kind of. 
I'm pretty sure they also have them in Scandinavia. Please connect, um, correct me if not. Also, please send me some biscuits. <laughs> uh, he'd be he'd be a wagon wheel, wouldn't he? Be the biggest biscuit you can get. He would not which be is a wagon, wagon wheel. wheel. You know when you sometimes you you try and get a wagon wheel into your mouth uh, no. in, as a whole, no. and you can't. Thor would be like that, wouldn't he? As a biscuit, trying to. <laughs> Thank you so much. Trying to cram, him, cram the biscuit into your mouth. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, Powerful. I mean, it's a muscular biscuit. But it's not a very nice biscuit, and I think that should count for something. All right. Okay. Uh, what are your favorite biscuits? That's, that's maybe... We're, we're coming at this from the wrong angle, <laughs> we are, perhaps. Are, yeah. uh, what are your favorite biscuits? And is Twix a biscuit? Yes, it is. I do like <sighs> myself a jammy dodger. <laughs> I mean, it's classic. It's a classic. <laughs> I like those jammy dodgers that have the cream in them as well. No, nah, nah, keep it simple. The happy faces, I think they're called. Happy faces. I like. I'm not sure if it's technically a bit, but the um, the uh, chocolate fingers. Those are really nice. Those can be good, yeah. yeah but the okay. problem is when you get some of those, and then suddenly the entire packet is empty, and you're like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I just had like maybe two maximum. Yeah. No, you can. Wolf them down. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of a custard cream. Love I, a custard cream. Yeah, I'm uh, a very big fan of a really good chocolate chip cookie, but I'm quite fussy about my chocolate chip cookies. Mm-hmm. And I like a, this is a bit more particular, Oreos do a cinnamon bun Oreo. And it's super Do good. they? Yeah. Okay. That's exciting. It's That's very exciting. very good. Uh, custard creams, I'm going to say, as Wanda. Wanda. Do you not think she'd be something a bit odder? Do you think? Yeah, more like, co- like, more a, like one of the, what do you call those um, fruit fruit ones? Garibald? Fruit shortcake? Fruit shortcake? Fruit <laughs> shortcake. That's, that's Doesn't very that's... reductive. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> she, she struggles with uh, certain aspects of her personality, but calling her fruit shortcake is a bit much. Um, all right, yeah, I'll accept that. You know those things where you get the biscuits and they have the, uh, the, 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 the sort of the pastry, the wafer, the wafer thin pastry that has the chocolate on the end? So it's got that. Oh, like a, okay, yeah. yeah. Not it was that. Like, like cat's tongues, but yeah. not quite. Uh, last one, Spider-Man. What would Spider-Man be? Oh, it'd be something yeah. adorable. What's yeah. the most adorable biscuit? Nice. Nice. He'd <laughs> be a nice <laughs> biscuit. That's, that's Steve Rogers, isn't it? <laughs> no, no. Nice. He actually should be the happy faces. Happy faces. Yeah. Or oh, the animals. These should be in animals. Animals, yes, little animals. little animals. Oh, Dr. Strange. We forgot about Dr. Strange. He'd be a whirl, wouldn't he? Of some kind he would of, be a whirl. Yeah, yeah. He'd be a whirl of some kind. Thanos, what would he be? Nothing because he's dead. Fuck him. He'd, right. he'd be a bloody. He'd be like something that isn't even a biscuit that people say they want when you offer them biscuits. They're like he'd be like a cheese cracker or something. Uh, oh. One of those yeah. a garlic and parmesan twist. Oh, actually, that sounds delicious. It, it is very very nice. Very very nice. And uh, hopefully, I'll be getting my nectar point renewal through while the podcast is on and I can tell you whether I've got a deal on that. How exciting for all of us. Uh, keep them peeled. Keep listening to the show because we may be going through my Nectar Point uh, offers live on the show. Who knows what may happen. But if you want to have your question read out on the Emperor Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as Jody Everett found out to their cost. Uh, oh, just read here. South African cookies. Condensed milk cookies. Um, I just googled African biscuits. Immediately on board for those, yeah. Yeah, uh, they're buttermilk rusk biscuits, crunchies. Rusk biscuits. Yeah, interesting. Imbatata, uh, mm-hmm. Mal- Malawian sweet potato cookies. And there are no. Hang on, hang on. Thor is technically Australian. I mean, Chris Hemsworth is. <laughs> so it's a chance to get Tim Tams in there. Tim Tams. Tim Tams. That's a good shout. That's amazing. Yeah. Next week we'll do which Batman villains are, are biscuits. Uh, what's the penguin? I don't know. Nothing really springs to mind. 
Uh, anyway, if you do want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can get in touch with us via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can slide into my DMs. They're generally open. Uh, no weirdos, please. Uh, and uh, Or you can just wait for me to throw out a, que- a panicked request for questions five minutes before the podcast starts, which is usually what happens. Uh, and then just reply as Jody did last week. Indeed. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Facebook, although we don't really recommend that. And you can get in touch with us <laughs> on email as well, podcast at empireonline.com, which is usually where people send in the most considered questions. Mm. Or the longest. Uh, not necessarily the same thing but uh, do send in questions and we will tackle them on next week's show and beyond next week's show of course is an in-studio special March 6th we're going to be in Dublin what? at the Dublin International Film Festival it's going to be a lot of fun Uh, tickets for that are sold out oh well I am told Uh, but if you do want to come and see us in Dublin uh, we will be doing a meet and greet afterwards as well um, I believe uh, I'll find out where we're going to be <laughs> and I will let you know uh, and of course tickets may become available near the time returns and whatnot. so keep and peeled for that cool cool uh, and whilst we're also on the subject of plugging and shameless plugging and whatnot, I should also mention that as you know the uh, Empire Spoiler Specials are now behind a paywall and if you want to listen to I mean we put up loads since we went behind the mm. paywall we uh, told people we'd be giving a minimum of two a month. We have met that and we have exceeded that target Ooh. in just the last couple of weeks. 1917 with Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson-Cairns. Queen and Slim with director Melina Matsukas and writer Lena Waithe. Interviewed by this man, Amon Warman. Did you bring a uh, takeaway there as well? Did you, <laughs> you know, did you withhold that from them and just wave it under their noses and go, hmm, smell this? Delicious. Not on that occasion. Mm, yeah, yeah. You're professional when you turn when you when you're with them, but not with us. Okay, that's fine. It's all going on my ledger. I'm on this. It's all going. Wow. There's a, there's you a have a ledger. There's He's a like of, Taylor Swift up in here. There's a bit of red in your ledger, my friend. Oh my <laughs> but it may be just sauce for your takeaway. Who knows? Um, what else have we done? We've done the Parasite Supporter Special as well, and this week it's just gone up. It are Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn special in which the three of us talk about that film. I also talked to the director, Kathy Yan, as well. And if you want to subscribe to the uh, Empire Spoiler specials, uh, it will be no more than £4.99 a month. And you can do so by going to glow.fm forward slash Empire Film. Fill in your payment details. You can subscribe monthly or annually as well. Uh, and then they will send you a link you can put that into your podcast app of choice and then you have access to all the new spoiler specials we're going to be producing as well and the whole archive going all the way back to 2012. Wow. Amazing. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. Anyway, that's the shameless plugs over. For now. Or is it? <laughs> because we might as well. We're going to talk about the movie news and sometimes we finish the movie news section on a special day like today when the it is New Empire Day. New Empire Day. And we talk about, the, uh, we talk about what's in the new issue of Empire Magazine. Which is now a sale on all good and evil news agents. But since we're here and since we're plugging our wares, um, let's do it now. So, the new issue of Empire is out, and it, it has is. the Mandalorian, Mando, the what, and the child. What I know. What is this? It is. It is a baby-looking Yoda. Is what it is. That's so darn cute. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, indeed. Uh, so the Mandalorian is about to hit the shores. Much ballyhooed. Star Wars TV show created by John Favreau uh, and uh, starring Pedro Pascal, Carl Weathers, Gina Carano, 
directed by people like Deborah Chow and Taika Waititi and Dave Filoni and uh, Rick Famuyiwa and all these incredible uh, people working on the show. It, uh, of course, debuted in the States last year. It's taken a while to come over here as well, but that has given us time to soak up the fact that it's become a cultural phenomenon, one character in particular, of course. <laughs> and uh, I spoke, I wrote this piece, I, I spoke to John Favreau, Taika Waititi, uh, Pedro Pascal, loads of people about the show and about the impact of the show and about what people can expect. Uh, and I know that some of you naughty people listening to this have probably snuck in under the under the wire and watched The Mandalorian already. What? Who would do that? You're very naughty. You're very, very naughty. Uh, and don't do that. Uh, but for the rest of you, a treat is in store. Wait. And in fact, for people, even people who've seen it, it, there's a treat in store anyway because it's written by me. You goddamn <laughs> wow. motherfuckers. So appreciate me in my lifetime because one day I won't be here and you would be like, where did he go? We liked him. Where did that humble Chris Hewitt go? Mm. Humble. Humility I'm on. <laughs> it's just one of my traits. Many wonderful traits. Uh, what else is in the issue, Helen? You're looking at it right I now. I am looking at it right now, so you can't. <laughs> um, we also have, obviously, the usual movie news, reviews, etc. We are looking at the future of Star Wars off the back of The Mandalorian. Um, we have p- features on Mulan, uh, Nicolas Cage, Emerald Fennell with her fantastic new film, Promising Young Woman. Um, we look back at The Lost Boys with Joel Schumacher. We've got a look at Rocks, which is a freaking amazing British film. I keep um, hearing so many amazing things. I need to so see it. So good. Uh, St. Maud as well, another fun, fantastic British film. Mm-hmm. And we've got the review of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which you should be super excited about if you're not already. Dark Waters, a Mark Ruffalo film that we talked to Todd Haynes about recently. Mm-hmm. Um, in Looking Ahead, we've got Bill and Ted facing the music. You do, yes. Come on. It's all very exciting. Uh, great stuff. Jeff Goldblum's in there. Ah, uh, yes. Charlie Hunnam answers the pint of milk. Oh. What a day! What a glorious day! What, what, a, what an issue of Empire this is, um, and some stuff happens in, in the back section as well, which it I does, edited. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what it is, but Roma. I'm sure it's good. Roma's joining the Roma. Criterion we speak collection. to Alfonso Cuaron. Thank you. Yep. I've forgotten about that. Animals is in there. Oh, is it? That's it good. Is. Wow, that's yeah. exciting. Um, there's loads of stuff in there as well, and uh, we also have a supplement. We have a supplement this week, this month, this year, whatever the hell it is. Uh, it is the ultimate celebration of Bond. Uh, which is a big old 56-page celebration of all things Bond. We have new interviews, new photographs from the archives and incredible behind-the-scenes stories as well. It's very, very exciting. What a package. What a package. I've got to say, I'm really looking forward to that Roma piece because it's been an interesting discussion in the wake of Parasite's win about how much Roma opened the door for that last year. Mm. Um, it'll be very interesting to uh, see what might have gone down had it one at a, at a Green Book last year, this year. Uh, but it's a really good movie. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that piece. Yeah, and of course it's now uh, coming out on the Criterion Collection. And uh, that's interesting because it's a Netflix film, but now there's been announcements that other Netflix films are going to be going to the Criterion Collection as well. Like The Irishman's going to go to Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, they announced this week The Parasite isn't obviously a, a Netflix film over here, but it's uh, is going to be on the Criterion Collection as well. And, you know... Maybe that gives it a more of a prestige sheen than just being on Netflix would um, mm. down yeah, the line. Maybe so. Mm, maybe so. Anyway, it's available right now. All good and evil news agents. What a package. And we recommend heartily, heartily <laughs> that you buy it. And uh, as I always say, in the spirit of generosity and love, pay my wages, you absolute <laughs> motherfuckers. Chris. What? 
I just, I just don't think a career in marketing is for you. <laughs> Buy this magazine or the Hewitt gets it. How about that? No, that might sell. That mm. might sell. No, it wouldn't sell. People are like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's get rid of that guy. Um, anyway, so it's on sale right now. We're very, very excited about it. But we're also excited about things that happened in the world of movies this week. Movie news specifically. Helen, you have a face that tells me that you are plugged into the world of movie news. This week, and you know, you know exactly the story you want to start off with. I do, yeah, for sure. Now, if you just give me five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> um, how about the Doc Savage TV series? This is intriguing, just because I remember writing stories on this back in the day uh, when I was still on the website full time, and at that point, it was being talked about as a Shane Black film. It's been talked about as um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson starring as Doc Savage. And now it's going to be completely unconnected, as far as we know, to either of those people, but um, be turned into a TV show. So um, Doc Savage was like a big pulp hit character. So he's kind of a, a bit tarzan mm -hmm. but not quite. Mm -hmm. He's kind of like Tarzan meets Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Twins, right? So he's been raised by birth, raised from birth by scientists to be the perfect hero. So he's a scientist, an inventor, a, phys a doctor, an explorer. He's like super buff. He meets like dinosaurs, he fights villains, he exposes secret societies, he has all these gadgets. He's kind of a bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you do a movie, a TV show of it, it allows you to explore all these ridiculous things that he's able to do, mm. which could be quite a good fit. But, um, but yeah, we'll see. Will this one get out of development hell? Um, Neil Moritz is certainly hoping so. He's, he's the producer behind that it. Name from? You know that name from basically all of the fast movies ever that's yes. the one all the, all the really fast ones and some of the yeah. furious ones too <laughs> sure. and, uh, he's, uh, he's a producer of things like that movies of that ilk um, okay yeah so you know yeah that's cool that's exciting I guess I, I don't I, honestly I, I'll be honest I don't know how I don't know much about Doc Savage I keep getting confused with Doc Samson from the Hulk comics oh yeah green haired mm. dude yeah green haired dude yeah. played briefly in the MCU by Mm -mm. I forget. Yeah, Leonard Sampson. Leonard Sampson. Wait, was that Tim Blake Nelson? No. no. He was a leader. Of course he was. Luffy Wingo? No. Oh. Ty Burrell. Oh. oh, yeah. I'd forgotten. From Modern Family. Modern Family. Mm -hmm. He's fantastic. Yes, I can't see that guy turning into the Doc Sampson of the comics who's this <laughs> big, muscular, green-haired, rock, ponytailed, <laughs> rock star guy. But, uh, but who knows? Tyberell's got range. Um, I've got some exciting news that we might be able to discuss Please. more than the Doc Savage <laughs> news. Uh, Dexter Fletcher, who is attaching himself mm. limpet-like to all sorts of projects in the wake of Rocketman's success, Oscar-winning success. Oh. Oh. Well, for, for best original song that isn't Glasgow, No Place Like Home, you mean? A very specific category, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess. Uh, yes, it did win... The Oscar for Best Original Song for Elton John's Unforgettable. And uh, I'm he, Gonna Love Me Again. That's it. Yes. Now I sing remember it. A sing thing. it. How's the tune going? I'm Gonna Love Me Again. Is that where it goes? Yeah. Huh. Is it? Go. I mean, he could Is tell it? us anything and we wouldn't know. <laughs> All right. Um, so, anyway, yes. Dexter Fletcher, he has been attached since then to Sherlock Holmes 3. He's been attached to a retelling of the Voyage of the Demeter, which is the, oh, yeah. the ship in Dracula that takes Dracula to uh, England. <laughs> is that still going to happen after episode two of Dracula this Christmas? I wonder if that maybe put the kibosh on it. Yeah, I wonder uh, Who knows? Uh, but now he has attached himself once again, limpid-like, to the saint 
uh, latest remake of The Saint. I mean, people have been clamoring for a remake of The Saint, haven't they? Have yeah. they? It's been very hard to find questions for the Emperor podcast. <laughs> you have to wade through all the Saint fan mail first. Yeah. So I mean, look, it's it's not a bad like premise for a show. And what is that premise? Who is the Saint? Uh, he's a spy, a secret agent type. Is he? He's a he's a do gooder. He's, he's a do gooder. I don't know if he's a type. spy necessarily. And he's a master of disguise. He can be. Okay. So he's... Uh, Val Kilmer did a lot of disguising. Leslie Charteris, I believe, created them, and he was in many novels and short stories, mm-hmm. and then the small screen played, of course, by... Roger Moore. Roger Moore. And then played by... Val Kilmer. Ian Ogilvy in The Return of the Saint oh, in God. the 70s. Uh, and then by... Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer <laughs> in the famously terrible Philip Noyce movie from, what, 1996, 1997, something like that. Uh, but a movie I suspect may not actually be that bad if you went back and looked at it now, but uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Write in, tell me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a while since that, mm-hmm. and now Dexter Fletcher is in talks to direct this. I mean, uh, you know, we love Dexter Fletcher. We think he's great. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, I'm really struggling for strong feelings about this. <laughs> I'm really. It's, it's not been the best week for movie news. It's, yeah. You know what? It's like it could be. It could be fun. Yeah. It could be really yeah. fun. I don't know that we need another, you know, hero character like this. Oh, okay. uh, we don't need another. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, it's it's. Come on. What do you think? I am a Dexter Fletcher fan, mm-hmm. and therefore I'm here for it. Aren't you worried that he's getting so busy? he may have to knock the McDonald's adverts on the head. Because I find his no? voice comforting. <laughs> okay. Do you not find it like you're watching the McDonald's advert and his voice comes in and goes, oh yeah, get, uh, get how, McDonald's this how week. How often do you watch McDonald's adverts? Yeah. Always. Like, I don't really watch terrestrial TV. Two burgers TV. for a pound. Yeah. McDonald's. And he, you know, and he goes, oh yeah. I don't really watch terrestrial no. TV with adverts, you know. Yeah. Oh my God, what a snob. <laughs> I'm just saying. Holy shit. B- BBC or GTFO. Oh. So. What's GTFO? Is that? <laughs> it's what the government is doing with the BBC. That's what hey. I said. That's what I said. The government, whenever they, uh, they want to destroy the BBC, I say, GTFO, you MFs. <laughs> Um, I've said motherfucker far too often in this podcast already, so I don't want to do that. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's, mm. Yeah, it's going to be good. At the risk of jinxing it, uh, Tom Holland Uh-oh. has said that the Uncharted movie, that movie which we all know is definitely going to get made, mm-hmm. is filming next month. Okay, I will 100% believe this when I see it in cinema. <laughs> yeah. Um, I so, don't wish to doubt saintly little adorable Tom Holland. Yeah. But I really want to see this movie because I'm, I'm a fan of the game franchise. Um, I played all of them. They're really, really good. Even the spin-off. Uh, mm-hmm. which was solid. And uh, yeah, I still remember the um, Nathan Fillion uh, sort of short online yep. on YouTube, which is really, really fun. So yeah, if they're finally ready to start making this, um, then I'm here for that. I mean, and, yeah, I hope I hope it happens, if only to stop all the speculation about yeah. it. I thought there's like, you know, five directors who have come in and signed on and then dropped out. Who's uh, directing it now? Sorry. Uh, I think it might be Travis Knight. Yeah, that's Travis sounds right. Knight, that yeah. sounds right. Yeah. That yeah. does sound right. Who I really it's, like. I, I, mm. I was just saying, I, I rewatched Kubo and the Two Strings the other day. That's great. Uh, Bumblebee, I think, great. is really, yeah. really good. Um, I think he's done one more film since then, which I can't remember what it's called. Um, but yeah, I'm a big uh, Travis Knight fan. So if he can sort of put his magic on this, then I'm here for it. 
I mean, I would just really like to see it made because I feel like I've written about this my entire career. <laughs> like, I feel like it's been, you know, again, for the website, we would just be writing stories about, oh, the Uncharted movie is here. It's now it's gone, but it's back again. And here is another possible person who might be making it. Like, mm. oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's really, really exciting movie news this week, isn't it? You can, you can tell we're all um, infused and energized. Well, I've got, go ahead. I was going to say, um, Guillermo del Toro, Ooh, uh, he is making a Pinocchio movie, mm-hmm. and yes. Ewan McGregor and Tilda Swinton have joined the cast that already has Von Perlman and Christoph Waltz. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty sexy as a that's list. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, Guillermo is one of those, you know, those filmmakers who you can watch the first 10 minutes of a film is like and you know, immediately know and stop yeah. yeah and then you don't have to watch anything else uh, no I is don't that, think no no okay you watch, watch the rest of that. the film okay okay yeah. <laughs> um, so so yeah and it's interesting because I think they're making a live action Pinocchio and this is going to be a stop motion Pinocchio coming out at yeah. the same time coming out around the same time so be interesting to see uh, those two films go ahead to head. Mm. but this is on Netflix it's is it a Netflix movie oh. so yeah yeah mm. But good people. Good people. Here for it. Good people. Mm. Yeah, I'm not dissing the fact it's on Netflix at all. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, speaking of good people, Robert Pattinson is reuniting with Claire Denis after and High Life. It feels so good. <laughs> and this I'm joined by Margaret Qualley from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, so it's adapting a 1986 novel which is set during 1984 in the Nicaraguan Revolution. And it's about a mysterious English businessman and headstrong American journalist who have a passionate romance. I'm guessing that's our two leads. Um, and then have to try and stay together and escape the country with only one another to rely on. What? What? Dun, dun, dun. So, yeah, that should be exciting. I feel like, a, a you know, Claire Denis doing that Denis, kind of Denis. thriller is not, is not obvious, so I think it'll be interesting. Exciting. Ooh, exciting ooh. stuff. And in more exciting reteaming news, uh-huh. Martin McDonough, uh-huh. Colin Farrell, oh. Brendan Gleeson. What? Brendan Gleeson's streaky beard. No. <laughs> yes. We hope. I don't know about the beard, actually. He hasn't been confirmed yet. But uh, Marmalade. <laughs> but yeah, apparently they're uh, they're all getting back together after In Bruges. Um, it's a, a, due to start shooting this summer, and it's about two lifelong friends on a remote Irish island. Which one, though? Aaron? Rathlin? Ah, oh, so the, exciting. The other ones? Other than it? Is, what's, the, is, what's the one that's um, in Star Wars? Mm, Michael, St. Michael's Mount? Something no, it's like not. That. It's not St. Michael's Mount, but something like that. Something like Skellig that. Michael. Skellig Michael. That's it. There you go. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the secret Star Wars sequel. Maybe they're hanging out with Luke Skywalker. <laughs> oh my, I was so watched that as well. Yeah. I just watched those three do anything. Can I mean. get a wood watch? Woodward. There we go. Oh, yeah. It's exciting. See, we're fine. We're getting the swing of things now with the old movie news. It's all happening. Um, this is going to really knock your socks off, guys. Uh, Jake Johnson and Omar Sy are returning to Jurassic World. Hey. In hey. Jurassic World 3. What? Now, I will give each of you a shiny penny if you can tell me who they played in the first Jurassic World movie. Uh, hey, keep your penny. <laughs> Omar Sy would have been French person name. Um, no, and you were so off no, the mark. You were so off the mark. Damn it! I was sure I was right on that one. And Jake Johnson wore a Jurassic Park original T-shirt. He did, and he flirted outrageously, or tried to flirt outrageously with, with Lauren Lapkus. Yeah, who was then eaten egregiously, violently, right? No, no, she got away. She got free. away. Yep, yeah, she. Just, oh, sorry. Yes. yes, I was mixing her up with the yes. babysitter. Yes. 
Uh, I will put you out of your misery. Please, I'm just miserable. <laughs> the world has been clamouring with one voice. Bring back Lowry Crothers. <laughs> and that is Jake Johnson's character. Lowry Crothers. Lowry. Okay. Lowry. And Lowry. <laughs> <laughs> and Omar Sy, of course, is playing the most French-sounding character in the world, <laughs> Barry. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, there's Madame de Barry, who was genuinely, genuinely a mistress of Louis the Fifteenth, I think. I'm not kidding, Madame de Barry. Look it up. No, I'm not laughing at that. I'm laughing. <laughs> oh my god! I was, I was, I was clarifying for Chris's face, <laughs> which didn't seem to believe me. <laughs> I, I, no, oh, I believe you. Man. I believe you. Um, That's amazing. Is this exciting? Isn't it exciting? <laughs> They're back. They're finally back. To be fair, I mean, we're about to talk about Omar Sy in a little bit when we talk about the review section. Um, but he is always somebody I like seeing on screen. Uh, so I'm happy that he's back in this big franchise because the last big franchise he was a part of, uh, the X-Men franchise, he got a raw deal mm. as Bishop. Um, so He was a good Bishop. Yeah. I, just, I wish that they hadn't... Bishop doesn't need a gun. Bishop is the gun. And I hate that they gave him a gun in Days of Future Past. I don't know why this is taught to say Days of Future Past reads spoiler special, but... Because well, he has, he has he, <laughs> when he first appeared in the comics, he had a big old F-off gun. But yeah... Why did uh, I censor myself there? Like? <laughs> <laughs> no, Bishop's whole thing is that he absorbs the energy and I then, know what Bishop's whole okay. thing is. Just making it clear for the Jesus. listeners. <sighs> anyway, I like Omar Sy. Yes, we so like Omar Sy. I like Jake Johnson too. He obviously played a brilliant Peter Parkin. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. He mm-hmm. did. Uh, so, uh, yeah, happy you still getting wet too. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and uh, I hope they bring back Lauren Lapkus. Yeah. Bring her back, you, you monsters. Bring her um, back. Bring her back. Bring her <laughs> back. Oh, my to me. Oh, yeah. Are we singing things that are not... Yeah, it feels like that wasn't the tune. <laughs> What's the tune? Yeah. I mean, bring it back. See, that's more than bring. You okay, were going, bring it back. Bring it back. No, no, it no, I was like, the right tune, just like a little bit lower because it was trying not to be like <laughs> okay. loud. And stuff. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, also, you were talking about snacks earlier on. Let's see the, uh, the, 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 the footage this week of Harrison Ford doing an interview with, I think it was uh-huh. Entertainment Tonight yep, in the I States. Saw that. And the lady journalist was massively unprofessional yep. and, uh, and said that he was basically a hottie. Yep. Uh, she used the words, you're a snack, Correct. which tickled him a lot. <laughs> it did. Yeah, because uh, at 77, you hear the word snack, you get excited. You think, <laughs> oh, yeah. what's that? Yeah. Mm. Werther's? Is it Werther's time? <laughs> I want a Werther's. Oh my goodness, he's, he is a snack, though, of course he is. He's a snack for life. Have you seen that? Well, we'll talk about him in a minute. We'll we will. to the reviews. No, we'll talk about him now, in fact, because uh, the, he has confirmed this week that Indiana Jones 5 is mm. going to start filming in two months or so. I, I still can't figure out the, next year. I still can't figure out the numbering. Like, what's with that? You know, what Sorry. happened to four guys? Sorry, come on. I don't know. I don't know what I said. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Why did I say that? The fourth Indiana Jones movie yeah. will start shooting <laughs> in about two months' time. And now it's been thirty-one years 31 since the last years. one. Helen. Like, hasn't been an Indiana Jones movie since nineteen eighty-nine. Not to my knowledge. That's <laughs> Not for sure. That I've seen. That's for sure. So. This is exciting, I guess. I mean, bringing Probably. a character back after so long. Such a long time. This is what like fast do? Eddie territory, isn't it? It really is. Uh, you know, big gap between Wall Street and Wall Street Never Sleeps. Hustler Hustler and Color Money, would that be the record? Or Psycho Psycho 2? Who knows? Who, Who knows? knows? <laughs> but presumably the gap between Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, which came out in 1989 and was the last Indiana Jones movie. Mm. And this movie, which will come out in 2021, that's a big gap. Big time. Big, big gap. Um, 
but yeah. great. I mean, you know, fantastic. So that's what could go wrong. Extrapolate if we extrapolate thirty years on, and Indy presumably isn't his real age in the movie, yeah. right? He'll be Unless maybe Irishman sixties. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine? Sixties or so. Actually, they might do that. Who knows? Um, this movie would probably take place when nineteen sixties. Yeah, mid sixties. Post Cuban Missile Crisis, pre Free Love, I guess, theoretically. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, if they're bringing in more talent with this Vietnam. one, I think you know Shia LaBeouf would actually be pretty great. He's just what? Come, just come off Honey Boy, you know, Peanut Butter Falcon. You know, I think he's it, a I bit think... indie for a film like this. <laughs> I think he's a bit indie for indie. Oh, Wait wow. No, I think I, I, I like Shia LaBeouf. Uh, certainly his career has come back on track over the last few years. He seems to come himself back together again. That's fantastic. But I just don't see him. Uh, top of my head, Indiana Jones' son. Mm. I don't see that. Mm. I don't see that working. <laughs> I think it would be... Doesn't make any sense. Horrible miscasting. Mm. And uh, But there's, there's so many great British character actors choose from. You could have Ray Winston in your movie. You could have Jim Broadbent in your movie. What? You could have Kate no, Blanchett no. in your Blanchett, film. Kate Blanchett, like that makes sense. She's not British, but you know. No, but you know. She could do any accent. So, really any. Yeah, really definitely. anything at all. Uh, mm. So if you were to go down that route. I'm having this weird sensation right now. I can't, I can't explain Don't know what you're it. talking like, about. But, it's like deja vu, but, but. Genuinely speaking, that's, that's all jokes aside, Helen. Mm. Uh, is this a good idea? Should they do this? Spielberg is, so in two months' time, Spielberg is about to roll cameras yeah. with Harrison Ford, who will be 78, 79, roughly, by the time this movie comes out, unless he ages two years at a time, I don't know. <laughs> but he's going to be in that ballpark. He's going to be pushing 80 by the time he comes out. And of course, he's still, he can still kick any of our arses, yeah, even, even you, Amon. I mean, you know, clearly you work out, but... I work out. Clearly, you well, you run. It's not the same. I also work out. You Okay, you work out, but it's not the same as running. And I... I obviously am temple man. I have a body that is a temple and uh, Harrison Ford now and again might care to explore it. And uh, <laughs> what? In his capacity as an archaeologist, of course. Uh, and uh, But he's going to be pushing 80. Spielberg, they, they need to do this. Couldn't they just leave it at Last Crusade? Genuinely, couldn't they just leave this movie and no one would go, uh, where's that Indiana Jones 5 I was promised? I mm. really hope, I, and I really, really do hope, you know, my, my basically my motto is in Spielberg we trust, like yeah. Spielberg is the, the man. Uh-huh. Um, and I really, really hope that he is not doing this without good reason because I feel like if he was just kind of trying to scratch an itch and, you know, make George Lucas happy, I feel like that would have happened a while ago. And I, th- I feel like... But Lucas it, apparently isn't involved. Yeah, but that's mm. what I'm saying. So that happened... Yeah. If it happened a while ago, and he probably would have learned from that if it had happened, and therefore oh, he'd probably be. You're referring to the fan film. Um. Yeah. So I feel like he would be probably, you know, a, a step further forward than that, and a step further towards being good. Yeah. I yeah. I don't feel like Spielberg is the sort of person who just bring this back for the hell of it. So, mm. yeah. Um. I will give him the benefit of the doubt, and I think it could work. Mm-hmm. I think it could work. Mm-hmm. Okay, you think? Especially, if, I mean, it, it, do we know if John Williams is coming back for the score for this one? I'd say, if he doesn't, we certainly. riot. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, unless ill health or you know mm. he's unavailable. I mean, I think we still riot, but you know, <laughs> yeah. but respectfully yeah. and, and yes. you know, quietly, very yeah. very quietly. Yeah. Um, okay, you know, listen. Every day is Christmas Eve at Empire, mm. and uh, we're hopeful. Maybe they are actually are driven to do this. 
by wanting to set the record straight and wanting to get it right. Yeah. And you know, we all have our little jokes and our little yucks about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, it's not a good film and it has somewhat sullied the uh, reputation of Indy on the big screen. And maybe they want to put it right. Mm. Maybe they do, and hopefully they do. I've got listen. I, you know, I've got nothing against Harrison Ford. Giving this one last crack at seventy-seven, uh, I think there's. It's going to be interesting. Is the film's attitude and the approach towards his age, mm. as well? Is it going to be uh, slightly? Are they going to acknowledge it, for example, or are they going to pretend basically that it's still the indie of you know in his thirties and forties? But then, I mean, so much of his. It is an interesting one because so much of his adventures was him failing at stuff. And so much of the stuff that worked about it was him solving mysteries and, and figuring things out. So that stuff you can kind of still have. Mm-hmm. It's only the, you know, diving under doors at the last minute to get your hat that he might need a bit of help with. Well, he can, but he'd need a hip replacement afterwards. That's, that's right. the Right, <laughs> so you, you want to get somebody else in. I want Glenn Powell. I don't know why that name came into my head, but I think he'd be really good in an indie movie. Um but, you know, you need somebody like that with him. Uh, you need maybe some people around him to do that stuff. But actual indiness, like him in a tweed jacket, I think we're all here for in, for Harrison Ford in tweed. So <laughs> that can still work. Um, and and I'm excited about it. And, you know, it's all I'm here for basically every single Steven Spielberg film that ever has been made or will be made. Uh, West Side Story, of course, first. Yes. So mm-hmm. that'll be exciting, too. But do you think uh, this could be maybe a more, not an elegaic movie? I'm not expecting it to be mm. the Irishman of Indiana Jones movies. I'm not Who isn't here for the Irishman of Indiana Jones well, movies? I kind of would be here, but I'm, I'm not expecting it to be Logan either in that way. I don't expect it to be a death march. I don't no. expect Indy to slowly, slowly like, end with him just slowly dying. It's not going to be death in Venice, but with Indiana Jones. Ah, <laughs> oh, Venice. Ah, oh, death in Venice. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do wonder what it's going to be. Could it be... I don't necessarily want it to be a case of he has aged into becoming his dad, where you dressed mm. all in tweed and mm. being very, very professorial and very academic, and maybe he's put the whip and the, the jacket away, and then maybe events conspire in his yeah. life. Yeah, I think there'll be a bit of that to bring it back in. Yeah, yeah. Your son is now watching his entire back catalogue in a cinema. Something needs to be done. You need to go in <laughs> and, and sort him out. That that sort of thing. I think there's room here for something good. And I, I yeah. in Spielberg, we trust, man. In Spielberg, we trust. Uh, let's see how much wisdom those words hold next year. <laughs> Listen, I hope it's great. I hope it's yeah. great. Anything else before we move on? I was just going to say, who else would be on that list of directors you don't doubt? I know you've got James Cameron. You've got Steve Spielberg. Steve. <laughs> My good friend, Steve. Wow. What up, Steve? Wow. No. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Spielberg, Cameron. Hmm. I, I, I'll go and see any Coen Brothers movie. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, this is not to say that all of these people's movies all work equally well, but I will always go out of mm. my way to see these people. Um, I, put, I put Kugler on my list right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say, obviously, Gerwig right now is a, a batting 100. Mm. Paddy Jenkins is batting 100. Mm. Um, oh, these are incredible cricket scores. <laughs> <laughs> is that what they say? I don't really know. Um, and I mean, there's a whole. Uh, let's be honest. Like we're in this job because we <laughs> we have a lot of people who are who are in this this kind of field for us. It is true. Um, but yeah. yeah, Bong Joon Ho actually. Yeah, there's loads. There's absolutely loads. There's loads. Too many to count. Too many to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, director I really like is Adam McKay and the last bit of movie news before we move on mm. is that the next Adam McKay film is coming 
and it is going to be a satire about the end of the world. Anyone who... <laughs> a little close to the bone, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because when I interviewed him last, I think it was last January uh, for the Empire podcast, we were talking about, you know, obviously he's still going to do daft comedies and this seems to be in that vein a little bit. You know, he's the director of Anchorman, the other guy, Step Brothers, mm-hmm. in case you, uh, Big Short, and Feist, of course, most recently. And But he's you know, he is very politically aware. Yeah, he's very yeah. socially conscious and... Uh, he is aware that you know we are facing a, a climate emergency is the latest uh, the latest phrase, but you know we're fucked. Basically, is is a nice way of putting it. Mm. And uh, we were talking about Hollywood's responsibility. I've talked about this in the podcast with various yeah. guests. Hollywood's responsibility in terms of uh, getting the message across to people, and would they believe it more in a film coming from a film than say from a politician? Um, so this movie is about it's going to be starring Jennifer Lawrence, uh, and it's called Don't Look Up. And it's about uh, two astronomers who have to embark on a media tour to warn mankind that an approaching asteroid is going to destroy Earth. So Adam McKay said to me that he thought maybe his next topic would be global warming in some way. And it don't get much hotter than an asteroid hitting the planet <laughs> mm. and scorching all the skin off our bones. But it's a good metaphor, isn't it? Like Ooh, we're headed for a disaster. A oh, sorry. My mistake. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I... I, I I'm excited. I hope it'll be good. Yeah. Yep. No, I like the sound of that. Um, Jennifer Lawrence obviously taking a bit of a break from acting mm. to do life stuff. Yes. Um, so it'd be good to see her back on screens. Indeed. Even and if then, it's a Netflix screen. Yeah. I wonder what sort of comedy it's going to be. Is it going to be a big short type comedy, which you know gives way to you know, paralyzing horror yeah. <laughs> at the state of the world? Uh, or is it going to be an Anchorman, Step Brothers style comedy, which is wild and wacky? I think you know that the answer is the first one. Sorry. I think I do, but I still think he has. <laughs> I think he still has Anchorman in his veins, yeah. Adam McKay. So uh, who knows? We shall see what happens. And that should be out on Netflix. It's a Netflix movie next year. Provided, of course, we haven't all melted by that point. Mm. Ooh, ooh. That would be what, nice. <laughs> indeed. Oh, God. Uh, all right. Time now for this week's guest. Ooh. Exciting. I said last week we had two guests. We we're going to have Elizabeth Moss, but I've bumped her to next week's show. Oh, my God. Next week's show, so Elizabeth rude. Moss, star wow. of The Invisible Man. You're like Jimmy Kimmel in Matt I Damon. am. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Elizabeth Moss is outside the room right now. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Elizabeth. You're going to have to go home now. Sorry, you've been waiting there for three and a half hours, but come back next week. Uh, no, that's in the can, so I'm going to push you back to next week. Instead, we're going to hear from Justin Kurtzel, who is the Australian director of some light poppy fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, Snowtown. Mm. A jolly film about serial killers. Oh, yes. Yay! <laughs> uh, Assassin's Creed. Oh, that yeah. jolly poppy film about assassins <laughs> being in a creed. Um, Macbeth. Oh, man, that's a that comedy right there. Jolly, happy go lucky film yeah. about a murderous king. Is this a dagger his... I see before me? Lol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And other lines from that play. Uh, did I mention I saw Upstar Crow? Did I say it in last week's podcast did I tell you I saw Upstar Crow? Uh, you told Which me you were going. Technically speaking, yeah. I think means I've seen three of Shakespeare's plays now because oh they're, they're referenced in there. No. Uh, it's great, by the way. Mm. Upstar Crow is fantastic. It's the stage version of the hit BBC One sitcom starring David Mitchell as William Shakespeare. And they've done a stage version of it written by Ben Elton. And this one's much funnier than All Is True. <laughs> By the way, I mean, uh, yeah. it's not difficult, uh, but this is much, much funnier than all is true, even though thematically it covers some of the same ground. Okay. And, you know, post-death of his son Hamlet, oh, right. all that sort of stuff. So it's quite, you're thinking, oh, how can you get the yucks into this? Well, it's very, very simple. They have a dancing bear and did lots he, of lots of futtocking wordplay. Did he, did he follow people stage left? I don't want to spoil punchlines for you, Helen. <laughs> all right, well. 
but yes. Uh, and uh, yes, it's uh, it's really tremendous. And go and see it uh, if you can. Only playing for a few more weeks at the Gilgood Theatre. Why does this feel like an advert? <laughs> it's, yeah, it really weird. isn't. But uh, go go see it. It's fantastic. But uh, Macbeth. Yeah, is not as funny as Upstar Crow, uh, but Justin Kurtzel is a filmmaker. <laughs> Uncontroversial. I'm desperately trying to bring this back on track. Uh, Justin Kurtzel is a filmmaker who is very, very serious of mind, serious of subject, and his latest film sees him returning to his homeland of Australia to make the true history of the Kelly Gang, which is about Ned Kelly and his gang. Ned Kelly played in this movie by George Mackay, most recently, of course, of 1917 and other stuff. Uh, who else is in this movie? Essie Davis. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe, Nicholas Holt, Charlie Hunnam. Great, great cast. Mm. Looks terrific. And I'll be out next week. The film is out next week. But you're going to hear from Justin Kurtzel now and he's going to be talking to John Nugent. John Nugent. Enjoy. Justin Kurtzel, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Yeah, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Just, yeah, looking forward to the film opening here. It'd be great. Yeah, um, and... Are you just in from Australia? Or? Yeah, I got in on uh, on on Thursday. Okay, uh, so still dealing with jet lag? Are you? Uh... No, I'm pretty good now. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty used to sort of these long travels. So yeah, yeah it's nice being back. I lived here for sort of four or five years, um, making a couple of films. So I'm, uh, it's it's really lovely being back. Nice. Um, so we, we're here to talk about your your new film, True History of the Kelly Gang. Yeah. Um, that that title, I guess, is a little bit ironic um mm. that's that was the intention of the the, the book that, on which it's based peter carey's book yeah i i wanted to ask you about that that opening title which says nothing of what is it nothing of what you were about to see is true yeah and then it sort of fades out apart from true and then it goes true history of the kelly game. yeah um that's really interesting well it was because when peter wrote the book yeah the title is true history of the kelly gang in the book and um I think the irony of it, um, I think, kind of missed a lot of people. I think most people thought that he was, it was actually stating true. it was the true definitive yeah. history of <laughs> Ned Kelly. You know, yeah. um, burn all you that don't believe this. It was yeah. kind of, um, and it was completely. It was a, you know, he was being a rascal. It was like it was it was a play on words, and it was also, it was a. You know, it was a commentary about, you know, the way we rewrite history and right. the way these sort of figures' history is sort of stolen from them and they suddenly become, you know, a carnival. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we... we I just wanted the audience to sort of be... have a context at the beginning, that, especially an Australian audience, that, you know, we weren't making the definitive Ned Kelly. Actually, what we were doing is, is, is you know creating a, a, a dialogue about mm. you know myths and legends and what is real and and that somehow through all of this you know interrogation as to kind of who this man was and is that we'd be able to find some sort of truth there that might not necessarily link up to the real Nick Kelly but actually say a lot about who we are as Australians and kind of why we look for answers in a man like this so there was a there there was a sort of playfulness to it that that I thought was kind of really important, just tonally setting up the film. Yeah, I mean, for for someone like Ned Kelly, I guess the myth is almost as powerful as the history, right? Yeah, like you know, when I grew up, you know, you'd have a Ned Kelly pie, and you, <laughs> I remember my parents taking me to kind of like you know, olden town there with. Um, colonial australia and there'll be kind of like a cut out ned kelly and there's yeah. a tw you know there's a 20 foot version of him you know in one of the towns and you go and see his armor and 
uh, I'd never really quite understood why I was going to see him. Like, like it was always like whenever I'd ask a question, like, "What did he do?" or "What did he? Who is he?" and stuff. Yeah. My, you know, my parents were always a little vague as to kind of. And I noticed that, you know, as we were making it, like when you kind of talk to people about, "Well, who is he?" and "What does he mean to us?" I mean, even even the artifacts of his that we sort of still keep, which is the green sash that he was awarded as a kid, and mm. the death face that he kind of was made after his death, and and his armor are all in three different locations around Victoria. The the armor's in a little kind of alleyway, sort of that's quite dark and sort of yeah, at the front of the museum. It's like Ned Kelly's armor's here, but actually, when you want to talk about it in a sort of sophisticated way, it gets really awkward, and mm. we don't quite know why or how we're supposed to kind of you know acknowledge and celebrate him. Um, so that, that, that's always sort of intrigued me about, about him and, you know, and, and definitely was a huge part of the, I don't know, the, the, the DNA of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so much of the, the book and the film is about, I guess, storytelling and, and what it means to be, have a myth. Yeah. I mean, and how much of, of the film do you think is actually true to history or is that an impossible question? Oh, no, look, I think, I think there are many aspects of it that are, that, that are, that feel very true and that, you know, you can feel that Peter's, um, uh you know deeply researched it but but at the same time it's it's fictitious it's yeah. it's a you know there are certain events and things that happen in it that try to get us closer to kind of understanding you know maybe the real world the 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 the, the real kind of truth of kind of who this guy was and and um you know why we why we kind of hold him up the way we kind of do um but I, you know, de- definitely there's there's aspects of it that are that are very real, and yeah. that, you know you can't ignore. Um, but uh, you know, we just wanted, I, I, you know, as I think Peter did, wanted to be really liberated by, um, you know, not sort of doing this sort of um, pastiche kind of historical piece on this right. guy that um, we've had a hundred stories, you know, about, and there's been many films made about, and um, you know, sometimes I watch those films or I sort of read the books and when I when I was doing research and sort of felt they were as fantastical as anything else so um you know it it, it, it's interesting how his sort of truth has been shifted and changed to whatever kind of agenda there is that you know that's around yeah yeah, I mean, there are so many. There's, there's what a dozen or so films. Made yeah, about and this the guy, first right? ever film, live action film, right. was a Nick Kelly film. Yeah. So, so was that part of the impulse for making this? Is like a, a challenge to almost make something feel fresh and new. It was, yeah. Like, like it, look, it was the thing that I was scared of, and I didn't do anything with it for like six or seven years, and sort of made a couple of films here, and mm. um, <clears throat> you know, always kind of thought, there's no way I'm doing that. That's a hiding to hell. That one. <laughs> And, you know, and it kind of has been. <laughs> um, but uh, I just like, yeah, I, I I was missing home. I'd just come off a really, really big film. It was a really challenging experience. Mm. I was desperately trying to kind of find my voice again a little bit and really missing Australian characters and mm. and Australian narrative. And, and this was, well, okay, if I'm going to dive back in to do an Australian story, well, you know, there's, there's, there ain't much bigger than another Ned Kelly film. So there, there was a sort of challenge there and a provocation there that I was kind of really interested in. Mm. And, um, you know, and it's an amazing book. It's just an absolute bloody masterpiece of a book and um, that, that you know, really kind of helped us sort of define what, what sort of film we were going to make in the first place. Yeah. 
But as you sort of say, it, he is a complicated figure, Ned Kelly. I mean, he's a folk hero for a lot of people, but also, you know, he, he is potentially a cold-blooded murderer. You yeah. Know? Uh, what are your sort of personal feelings towards him? Did they change as the film, as during the course of making the film? I had empathy and sympathy for like when we were doing the scenes of Ned writing yeah. and writing his own history that I I sort of started to imagine kind of, you know, well, I just started to see and feel that idea of, and especially at the end of the film with Kerno sort of, you know, um, creating a, a kind of new story for entertainment mm-hmm. um, about about Ned Kelly's tragedy. I, I had a, a kind of an empathy and perspective there about... Uh, how his history was kind of rewritten that that I you know definitely didn't have before. Um, I had no idea about the Ellen Kelly uh, story with Ned, mm. the, the the sort of power and um, influence that the you know that Ned's mother had over him, mm. um, and that that was something kind of really fresh and new that I knew when making it and when we were writing it, it was going to be a kind of very different point of view than than the usual Robin Hood him robbing banks and you know, kind of, you know, um, bailing up against authority. So that that was a sort of very intimate kind of part of the story that I, that I wasn't aware of. In terms of like whether I have a point of view as to whether he's a murderer or a cop, you know, a, a cop killer or a, um, or a kind of Robin Hood of sorts, mm. um, it's really hard to – I found it really hard to judge a guy that was kind of, you know um, – living in those times in Australia mm. that there were some pretty bloody bad things happening all over the place, you know, especially to, you know, the indigenous in, in Australia. Mm. So to suddenly kind of like, you know, go, so, you know, um, you know like just, I just, I just think that those times were so gray, mm. you know, and that, that, that there was, there was a lot of things that were happening that were shaping individuals and, and, and obviously, um, very conflicting ideas of what was good and bad. Um, so I, I, I found it. I find it very hard to sort of judge him, um, uh, the the way some people do. Yeah, there's there's one uh, aspect of this film that I hadn't seen in any Ned Kelly film, which is that the Kelly gang wear dresses. Yeah, which is sort of it's such a sort of striking image to see these like alpha male really violent men wearing women's dresses yeah is that is that true to the, the history uh there's the reports of steve hart wearing dresses yeah. um there's been some sort of amazing paintings by sydney nolan of, of him of him wearing a dress i think peter kind of connected some of those kind of um thoughts and ideas to you know irish you know irish rebels that 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 did you know wear dresses mm. um, uh, as forms of kind of intimidating the the, the English you know um, <clears throat> in the eighteen hundreds so we as sort of Peter did extended that and we also thought it was an incredibly interesting thing to do to an Australian male <laughs> you know <laughs> there's a kind of masculinity to the Australian male that, right um <clears throat> you know maybe we were challenging a little bit with the dresses but they that they, they were never supposed to be the dresses were always supposed to be about a legacy they were always supposed to be about yeah. you know the fact that well our ancestors wore them and this is our new armor and you know um but they've certainly become 
in the conversation back home, they become a very provocative thing of either dismissing the film as kind of, you know, you know, fucking Ned Kelly wearing dress. What the fuck's that? Or, you know, or, um, you know, being really kind of, um, uh, you know, thinking it was a style choice. Right. But it's, it, it was always, it was always as a kind of a way in which the boys were liberated. You know, it was mm. never about their sexuality. It was, it was, it was always about kind of the empowerment that they got from these dresses and the, the significance of them with their ancestors. And, um, you know, they'd never wore them at Glen Rowan, but we just sort of felt as though they were so important in the kind of transformation of those boys yeah. that we wanted to kind of play them through to the end. Yeah, and there's something kind of radical and punk about it as well and yeah. the way they do it, right? Yeah, there's something very creative, like creatively liberating about yeah. about it. And, you know, you, you, you know, it was really interesting <laughs> seeing the boys wear them because yeah. they, you know, they got to a point where they didn't even know they were wearing dresses for, for a while there. It was kind of really <laughs> fascinating how they just were blind to them and, yeah. and, and, and that lovely kind of, but I don't know, you know, it always, it's always intrigued me, you know, and growing up playing football and, you know, watching kind of mad Mondays after the season ends and seeing these big burly kind of Aussie males suddenly arrive on mad Monday wearing dresses. I mean, I don't know what the fuck's going on there, but we do like, as an Australian male, we do love getting in a dress. You know, I, I'm not familiar with mad Monday. This is the thing. It's like you piss up that you have at the end of your footy season okay. and they call it the mad Monday because it happens on the first Monday after the Saturday game, right. or the last game of the season. Yeah. And usually people dress up and you know, you pretty much 80% of the guys when they arrive <laughs> at the mad Monday are wearing dresses and dressing right. up as women. So it's always, you know, it's always, um, uh, entertained me that that, <laughs> that half the football side is wearing dresses yeah uh, at the end of the season so. <laughs> i'm I, i'm i was going to ask what the response has been like back in australia because obviously you've got george mckay playing this australian yeah. national hero yeah. and he's a he's a brit i mean yeah. he's 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 got Australian heritage, but he's still a, he's a pom, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It hasn't been much sort of kind of feedback on that. Yeah. It, maybe because there's been too many other things to talk about in the film <laughs> sure. that would get up people's noses. But um, uh, no, he he, yeah, he maybe because he did such a good job, he really does feel Australian right. in it, um, and his accent's kind of really great. Um, no, look, it's been really divided. You know, there there are those that are, I think, really excited by how the film, um, you know, really um, gives you a kind of very different perspective of of the kind of Ned Kelly story and mm. prods and pokes at the kind of mythology of him. Um, and then there are others that are deeply kind of angry that you know we've taken a certain kind of character that means a certain thing and kind of you know. Um, you know, placed him in a light that's, you know, different from what people know. Mm. Um, you know, and then there are those that really have trouble with kind of the idea of kind of changing history, you know, and, and kind of, you know, going against kind of what, what, what really happened and presenting kind of Ned Kelly in this kind of more sort of, uh, I guess, sort of heightened way. So, um, it's it's really divided. Those that kind of you know you can you can tell are kind of really go with it and get something out of it, and and, and those that kind of go you know what well, it's just too far. 
Do you, are you kind of glad with that response? Would you have been disappointed if it would have been all, you know, um, all roses? I look, you know, if I'm honest, I'm always, I always hate, you know, always, it, it's always, you know, when someone doesn't like something that you do and, they, yeah. and they're really passionate about telling you, that's <laughs> never a nice place to be. But at, at the same time, I mean, I'd be kidding myself if I didn't. Yeah. I mean, I went into this because it was a provocative thing. It was, you know, I, I didn't, I, I think that was part of the reason why I wanted to do it because I knew that it would, um, uh, you know, be, be a divisive film in, in, in whatever way. Mm. But you sort of forget that when you're making it and you fall in love with it and it's your baby. Yeah. And then you kind of, I remember when I did Snowtown, it was kind of, I knew doing it was going to be a divisive thing. And then you do it and you fall in love with it and you really care for it and it's your little kind of child and baby and then you forget the fact that it's going to... The reason you did it in the first place was there were going to be a lot of people that really hate your baby. And, but you get really <laughs> sensitive about about it at the end because you yeah. kind of forget that that's one of... You know, that, 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 you know you, you, you're, you, you're making something that you genuinely believe in and you're putting everything in and you're passionate about it and you're not doing it for anything other than that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you do get really, really sensitive. But the, but this film has a kind of punk spirit to it, right? Like it's it's it's. I mean, everything in it feels quite quite punk. I, I read somewhere that that you got the actors to form a punk band. Yeah, I did. I I, I only had them for sort of two or three weeks, and yeah. we had to get them as a gang. And I was like, how the hell are we going to do that? So unless you sort of going off and you're in a sports team in Australia, you know, where you can very quickly get. You, you, you know, you, you gang quite close. The only other medium was um, music, you know, and being in a band and I'd been in a, a band before and there was nothing like that kind of, you know, camaraderie and mm. the fear of actually going out on stage and sort of playing. Um, yeah, so I booked a venue and, and it was a pretty big venue in Melbourne and notorious for independent music and I said to the guys, you got, you know, two two weeks to come up with a set. <laughs> And you're booked in and you've got to turn up and do it. And, wow. <clears throat> and they went about and did it. You know, in the first three or four days, I was like, this is going to be absolutely terrible. <laughs> and what have I done to them? And, did you they, know, it's did... going to be humiliating. And actually, they're not going to feel like a gang. They're going to feel like a bunch <laughs> of losers. <laughs> and then they just started playing really interesting riffs. And hmm. I was very lucky with them. They were all sort of semi, well, actually, you know, actually they weren't semi music they they there were there were you know some of them there that were had a real sort of past a musical past so mm. after 2 weeks they they came up with a set of like 11 songs and they played that night to 300 people and wow. they were they were really good they were really amazing and and at the end of it they walked on set and they were the Kelly gang they were like you know they were really comfortable with each other confident they had a swagger they couldn't give a shit about anything else they were a band yeah. and they were a gang so and they were, you know, the the songs were so, you know, two of the songs made it into the film. You know, there was something oh, wow. kind of like it was just. I just knew that that there were two pieces there that felt really natural to the process of making the film, and and felt really right. Um, and we're now going to release the album. Um, oh, that's the, so but cool. we're going to do it independent to the film. We're gonna we're gonna, um, you know, let the boys kind of release it as their band because yeah. they they kind of you know, formed, formed the band and came up with a completely separate name to the film. And so, yeah, so they're going off to do, they're going to, they're going to do, I don't think they'll play again, but, um, <laughs> well, they might, but, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it'll kind of, 
Hopefully it'll be out there recorded, you know, wow. and people will be able to hear it. But it's we recorded the whole album and it's being mastered now and yeah, you know, hopefully it'll it'll be out there. And and did the people at this Melbourne gig know who no. they were seeing? They yeah, had... they just thought it was a new independent Australian band. You know, that sort of come out of nowhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh well we look forward to that album. Yeah. Uh, I think that's my time, Justin, but thank you so much. No worries. It's been yeah, great. yeah, pleasure. All right, so that was Justin Kurtzel, and now we decided to talk about this week's reviews. There's quite a few films clamoring for your attention at the uh, box office this week. And a couple of weeks ago, we had Michael Winterbottom and Steve Coogan on the on the live show, our mm. 400th episode. They were fantastic, talking about their latest collaboration because they worked together loads and loads and loads and loads and loads. This one's called Greed, and is about kind of Sir Philip Green, but not really for legal reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I'm on. Yeah, uh, Steve Coogan, Michael Winterbottom joint. Um, Steve Coogan plays uh, Sir Richard Greedy McCready. He gives himself that nickname. Um, he's a high street fashion mogul who's trying to put together an extravagant 60th birthday party on a Greek island to sort of showcase his wealth and power. Uh, but he uh, keeps running into problems which he has to try and figure out, including but not limited to a Colosseum stage that... Uh, you know, may not get built in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gladiator is his favorite film, we should mention, and that was my favorite jo- running joke in the film, actually, because I am a massive Gladiator fan, so I was actually checking to see if they were getting all the lines right, and they did. Of course they uh, did. Yeah, especially the Maximus Dexus video. So on. Do you know it? I am Maximus, you, you know the name, mm-hmm. uh, commander of the five armies. Legions, 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 Legions of the North. Okay, continue. Uh, uh, there's oh fuck something of the oh, oh boy, I can't remember the second guys. bit. I'm Maximus <laughs> Decim, Decim, I'm Mac. Listen, I knew Rodius Omar Sy yeah, played I fucking knew. Barry. All right, let I me, didn't okay, realize. Put you out your misery. Yeah. My name is Maximus Decimus Rodius. Yeah. Commander of the armies of the North. Uh huh. General of the Phoenix Legions. That's Phoenix Legions. That's the new world of gods and monsters. Will I send it to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius? Oh my God, he's gone off. Father to a murdered son. I'm on focus. Husband to a murdered wife. Husband the to take a away. wife. And I will have my vengeance. The takeaway has kicked in. <laughs> in this life or the next. Correct, Helen. Uh, in the end. Uh, yeah. is, it my, is it at my command on Leash Hell or at my signal on Leash Hell? Signal. Okay. Yeah. Now, I could sort of quote half of that maybe verbatim. I am. I please don't. <laughs> I beg of you. Hey. Be, back, yeah. to, back to greed. <laughs> let's, let's bring it back. Do we have to? I was having so much fun. Let's um, focus. So, yeah, agreed. Steve Coogan is really entertaining in this movie. I really enjoyed his performance a lot. He's having a blast. Um, Ira Fisher is also in this movie, and she doesn't have a, a lot of screen time, but she makes an impression. I, I thought she was good. Um, I think this gets mired in one too many subplots, though. There's a recurring thing of a reality sort of TV um, camera crew recording uh, the McCready's family which is so sporadic that the movie might as well have done without it, I think. It's, which, it's, interesting enough, by the way, though, stars uh, one of the, the people who's in this reality TV show within the film right. is Ollie from Made in Chelsea. I think. And he's good. <laughs> yeah. He's actually good in this, which yeah. I was because I was like, I know that guy. I've seen that guy before. You, like, of course, it's a Made in Chelsea bloke. You watch Made in Chelsea? Occasionally. Okay. Not for years. Interesting. Not for years. But, uh, I'm learning yeah. things today. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's also a little heavy-handed and obvious for me, um, which limits its effectiveness. Although that being said, when 
the the credit sequence sort of has a number of sort of things which pop up giving you information on the real life goings on in mm-hmm. the industry and that even though it was preaching to the convert to the the uh, sort of leave its mark so mm-hmm. uh we gave it three stars i think that's about right it's a little obvious but it's worthwhile yeah it's fun it's not as good maybe as some of the previous things they've done together uh obviously the, the, let's take the trip right mm-hmm. and the, the trip to spain the trip to italy and the forthcoming trip to greece and put them aside uh the films they've done together, so 24-Hour Party People and uh, Cock and Bull Story, which I think is probably their pinnacle together. I, th- I, th- I think that movie's terrific. Uh, the Look of Love, probably the, the least successful of their collaborations. This is this is good. This is fine. I mean, this is an interesting uh, new character for, for Coogan. Uh, Tim Key is in this movie as well, but I don't think they get too many scenes together in case you wonder whether Psychic Simon and Alan Partridge are reunited on screen. It doesn't <laughs> really happen in this one. Uh, David Mitchell, is uh, knocking around in this as well as a, a journalist who's writing McCready's biography, official biography, and uh, he's a, he becomes a little bit dismayed as he sees the the monster behind the uh, the, the very expensively reconstructed smile. Yeah. And David Mitchell's fine in this. You know, he's essentially playing David Mitchell in this. Uh, if, of course, if you want to see more of David Mitchell, he is starring as William Shakespeare oh in <laughs> Upstar Crow, which is playing at the Gilgit Theatre uh, for the next 10 weeks or so. Uh, tickets are on sale right now at Upstar Crow Play. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm guessing at that. Get a great. <laughs> anyway, anyway, sorry. Yes, back to greed, back to greed. Um, it, yeah, it's fine. It made me laugh uh, a few times. There's a, there's fun bits. There's a CG lion knocking around, uh, is. which Love is... It. Which is which is cool. Um, not always one hundred percent convincing, but hey, you, know, you, you go with it. Um, it. It does when it starts to stray into lecture territory. It does become a little bit heavy-handed, I have to say. But otherwise, I enjoyed it. Fine, good stuff. Three stars. Correct. Cool. Three stars then for greed, and let's move on next to the return of the snack. It is Harrison Ford <laughs> opposite talking to CG animals. This is a real week for CG animals, isn't it? It really is, actually. We've got a yeah. CG lion in greed. We've got a CG dog in Call of the Wild. We do. The Call it is of the Wild. Call of the, the Call, Call of, of the Wild. The wild. Get it Sorry, right, Chris. Come on. Sorry. Yeah, so it's it's based on the Jack London novel, uh, which is obviously very well known and, and has literally survived a century, which is no mean feat. Mm. Um, it's an odd film, this. So it's basically about the dog character, not Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. particularly. Um, the dog is called Buck. Uh, he lives with a uh, judge played by uh, Bradley Whitford um, until oh. he is stolen by dog nappers. He is dog napped. No! Yes. Yeah. And transported to the Yukon because there's a gold rush on and they need dogs to pull sledges. So he, he joins a dog sled led by Omar Asai, who's a local postman. Barry! Barry! <laughs> He's back. Francois, actually, here. Um that and, sounds and more like an Omar. It does sound like <laughs> that's a little bit more French. And, I know we were thinking Francois or maybe Jeff. What's... Um, yeah. So uh, and then he uh, there some stuff happens. He also meets Harrison Ford uh, up there, who's John Thornton, who is. Uh, you don't quite know what what he's doing there. He says he's not there for the gold. Everybody else is there for the gold. So you don't quite understand why he's there for a little bit of the film. So I'm not going to spoil that. But I think what's frustrating slightly about this one is that they very much sold this as a Harrison Ford film with Harrison Ford and a dog. And it takes a long time (laughs) for it to be a a film about Harrison Ford and a dog. Right. Because it is a long time before that where you've got Bradley Whitford and you've got Omar Sy. And they're great, but it's not what we were expecting isn't Dan um, Stevens uh, in this as Dan well Dan Stevens is, is also in this um, he plays another owner I won't say too much about him either 
Oh. Um, <laughs> so he's got a very nice suit on, though. He, it's a, it's certainly a suit. It's a, it's a heck of a lot of look. And Karen Gillan is is in his section of the story as well. Okay. So, I think what struck me about this is I kind of feel like when you go and see a film called The Call of the Wild, you want to see a real dog in real environments. And this has some gorgeous CG, but it is mostly, it feels like, CG. The stills, I've seen it because I haven't seen this movie. Sure. The stills, I've seen this movie, I, I look at that and go, oh, this will look nice when it's finished. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it does look nice. It does look look nice. And, um, you know, the dog is beautifully animated. There's a couple of moments where there's maybe a little slip, but generally he's beautifully, beautifully done, as are all his fellow dogs uh, on the sled. Um, the, the backgrounds are stunning, but you just kind of feel like maybe Harrison Ford basically shot in a volume and didn't really go very far outside. And <laughs> you kind of sometimes wish that they maybe just had. I, I feel like... Mm. But and I understand why they went the way they did, because you need a lot of performance from this dog. It is a dog-focused story. He is the hero. Okay. Um, but but it's still, it's a little bit distancing. So this is uh, directed by Chris Sanders, who directed yep. uh, previously You Love Lilo and Stitch, yep. You Love uh, How to Train Your Dragon, Absolutely. The Croods, he also directed. And uh, it's been a while since since then, but this is his first live action movie. Yeah, and it's one of those live action movies where you kind of want to put that in, in yes. inverted quotes. I mean, there is literally uh, on at one point, if you look out on a notice board, there is a notice for A113, so which is obviously the running joke in Pixar movies and everything else. It's the um, Cal Arts classroom where animation is taught so mm-hmm. that kind of gives you an idea of, of the focus of this film it is very much it feels very much animation rather than live action a lot of the time um but yeah i it's very I, charming though. yeah very charming i i went into it with little to no expectations and i ended up quite enjoying it mm. i would be very intrigued to see the call of the wild cut which is just the green scene sequences <laughs> of harrison ford and the dog yeah, uh, Terry Notary in a great suit. <laughs> I'll pay good money oh, to see that. Love Terry Notary. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and it's it's just it's it's. I think maybe some of the edges of Jack London's novel have maybe been a little bit rubbed off. You know, this is a this is a family movie about a dog, um, and mm. with all that that implies, it's it's cute. Mm. It's very charming, but maybe awesome. not not an inter- not an instant classic. Interesting. Uh, we gave it three stars. We did. Yeah. We gave this three stars for the call, the call of the wild. The Call of Wild. Um, <laughs> and next up, let's go back to you, Amon, because it is like a boss. Any CG animals in this one? <laughs> I'm trying to cast my mind back now. I don't Goldfish, think perhaps? So. Don't think so. Chihuahua? I mean, some drones, might be, some of the drone stuff might be CG. Yeah, that's a point. Mm. Not yeah, really a pet, though, is it? <laughs> Not really something. There's a baby. A there CG is. baby? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, one of the, it's one of the funnier moments of the film, mm. though. Disappointing. Yeah. Anyway, so um, what is Like a Boss and uh, should people go see it? Like a Boss. So uh, Mia uh, is played by Diff- Tiffany Haddish and Mel is played by Rose Byrne. Uh, they have been friends since they were in college uh, and now they run a cosmetics line which is uh, sadly unprofitable. Uh, but when Claire Nuna, played by Sama Hayek, comes along, uh, she offers to invest in their company. Uh, so the whole movie really is about uh, should they sort of trust Sam Hyatt's character uh, and uh, take the paycheck or mm-hmm. trust in the core beliefs of their company, uh, which is more about uh, sort of innate female beauty. Mm-hmm. And that is what I liked about it, that message of female beauty, of female friendship as well. Uh, that comes through very strongly. Um, and also Tiffany Haddish and Rose Byrne are really, really great and really, really fun together. I enjoyed their chemistry. But for me... 
uh, a lot of the humor in this film is painfully unfunny. Oh no! And mm. this movie, I think it makes the mistake of mistaking awkwardness for humor. There's a lot of just stuff which is just awkward and just lingers. And in my screening, I'm not sure how it was in your yeah. screening, but there was very little laughter and it felt just awkward and weird. Yeah, it just I mean, hung there. There are some great moments yeah. in this. Yeah. Screenings are the worst place to see comedy. Yeah, so. they are. Yeah, mm. but, but I mean, there are some great moments. Billy Porter plays one of their company's employees. He gets and the best moment in the film. He, he, basically, <laughs> it's, there's a scene involving him in a restaurant that is yeah. hilarious. It's absolutely great. There's um, Salma Hayek, I think her character, I can see what they're going for. I think it's misjudged, but she does get a couple of great lines. Um, some, at one point somebody accused her of having a small head and she goes no I have a normal sized head I just have humongous breasts yeah, yeah. and that's pretty <laughs> Not funny spoiler, it's in the trailer yeah. that's great um, um, so yeah no, I fully agree with that uh, I also think there's a bit of the Kevin Hart problem uh, going on here which is that it feels like the actors have just been told to improvise a lot and then we'll fix it in post um, because again, I think that's where some of the humor being unfunny comes from. Mm. They're just riffing and riffing and riffing. And for me anyway, uh, not a lot of that was funny. Yeah, someone needs to impose some structure sometimes. Right. Yeah. right. So, so it's basically like, oh, Tiffany Haddish will say the day because she'll do her thing. Right. And then if the thing isn't funny or it doesn't work or they choose a wrong take, which can happen mm -hmm. as well. Uh, yeah, this is one of my big bugbears with uh, particularly American comedy for the last few years as well. In, uh, listen, I love improv. Improv has its place, as I've said many, many times, but... You can't just rely on it solely, yeah. I think. Um, that's, a, that's a shame. That's a shame. This is directed by Miguel Arteta, who has got some really good films in his back catalogue. Some not-so-great films either as well. But he recently, last he directed Salma Hayek in Beatrice at the Dinner, uh, which we had Salma Hayek on the podcast for a couple of years ago. And that's a much darker mm. uh, drama in, in a way. So maybe they were just wanting to work together again. Maybe yeah. they just found, wanted to exercise a few different gears. Uh, you know, it's Rose Byrne as well, who, for my money, is one of the, the sort of unsung comedy heroes of the last Absolutely. few years. Yeah. I think Absolutely. she's great. And I think she and, and Tiffany Haddish, I think, together have great chemistry and they just needed a little bit more yeah. direction. Mm. The bits where okay. you can tell that there is structure are really, yeah. really strong. Yeah. Like... Just trying to think if I could talk about it without spoiling, but there's, there's a bit where um, they both had to talk to, to different sets of female friends, and that sequence was fantastic for me. That uh, really uh, helped rescue some of the movie for me because I really wasn't enjoying it a lot until that point. Um, and I just wish that there were more moments of that where the core themes of the movie, which mm -hmm. are really strong and really good, really mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. came through. Um, if it did, then I think we might bump this up to a more favorable star rating. Because at the moment it is getting... Two stars. Two stars. Just two stars for Like a Boss, which makes which makes me feel that if you're going to watch one Roseburn comedy from the last couple of years, check out Instant Family. I haven't I'm, I'm not kidding either. It's really yeah. good. I've heard good things. I want to see that. But I remember her, was it in, is it in the Neighbours movies that she's in? Bad Neighbours, yeah. yeah, she's yeah. Really she is great in she's, those. She's legit great yeah. in Spy. Yeah, yes, she is, she is Where's phenomenal. Where's the sequel to that movie, Chris? I don't know. Don't look at me. I, I'm not hiding it or anything. I don't I have mean, it on me. Are you sure? Maybe I do. <laughs> <gasps> you fiend! Was it, oh, oh my god! Sometimes I will just watch some of the uh, Rick Ford scenes from that movie. <laughs> Jason Statham. Yeah, you know, I I perform surgery to reattach my arm with my other arm or something like mm. that it's incredible I once convincingly addressed Congress <laughs> as Barack Obama <laughs> honestly it's you just... know the only you know reason 
why you know I wasn't sort of all the way mad about the potential uh, to the, about the face-off two news that hit the web mm. uh, a while ago is that if Jason Statham's <laughs> if Jason Statham is in face-off two, then it might be it might make it worth it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. just blowing my mind. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so two stars down for Like a Boss. Uh, the film we really want to see, of course, is Spy 2. Uh, <laughs> Helen, is Little Joe Spy 2? Little Joe is not Spy 2. No. Oh. Little Joe is, and I don't think this is a, a, a spoiler because I think, I think the trailer kind of sells it this way. Little Joe is kind of Invasion of the Body Snatchers meets Day of the Triffids uh, in the sense that we meet Alice, who's Emily Beecham's character. Emily obviously won Best Actress at Cannes this she year did. Um, yes. for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so she is developing a new plant at a small biotech company um, and she's developed this plant that basically if you, it, it requires a lot of care. You have to really look after it. But if you do that, it will make you happy. It releases this smell that basically promotes serotonin production in the brain and will make you happier. Great. Like almonds food. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it looks so good. Um, You're welcome but, to have some after this. Oh, uh, oh I, I, no, I, don't I worry about me. Oh, no. <laughs> Um, okay, this is for the. Do not say that I didn't offer you anything, okay? This is on the record. Well, I mean, like after it's been sitting cooling for an hour, that's fine. <laughs> There's a microwave in the office. Anyway, so this comes from Jessica Hausner. Um, it's her first, I think, English language film. Um, and it's a really subtle film because it's kind of playing with the idea of, well, this plant is designed to change people's mood. But is it doing more than that? And is it doing anything at all? And can you be sure that people aren't just being people? Um, and there's a, there's a sort of a critique, I think, of, of kind of the modern reliance on drugs, uh, in particular in the, the mental health il- um, industry, to sort of pathologize people and uh, maybe, I think, over-prescribe drugs. There might be an element there of kind of how much is too much interference in our own brains, how much is is too much. But it plays out as a really interesting mix of kind of a lo- very, very low-key drama and kind of paranoia thriller. Um, as Emily, as Alice begins to suspect that something might be wrong with some of her colleagues, you've got Ker- Ker- Kerry Fox as Bella, one of her colleagues, um, Ben Wishaw is another one, um, and her own son, Kit Connor, that something might not be right with her plants, but it's her baby, it's her work, and she's passionately devoted to it, and she's not quite sure, you know, mm-hmm. what to trust. So it's a, it's a really interesting, bizarre kind of thriller, but very low-key. It also has the most disturbing soundtrack <laughs> I maybe have ever heard. It's it's more disturbing, I think, than Uncut Gems. It is up there with the Winter Soldier theme in terms of like wow. discord and that just... That is a big statement. It's, it's this <laughs> is some... This is, I mean, it starts off with just this steadily rising, incredibly almost painful note. So yeah, it's uh, it's a lot to take, but, but it's incredibly effective in setting the scene. So yeah, interesting movie. I'm a massive Emily Beecham fan. There's, mm. a, there's a show which is now unfortunately cancelled, which was great, that she was in Into the Badlands. Mm. Um, and she's great in that. So she, that makes me want to check it out for sure. Yeah, she's fantastic. And if you saw Daphne last year, she's amazing in that as well. And if you want to hear more from Emily Beecham, she, of course, was one of our guests on our jam-packed 400th episode. So go back uh, in your podcast app of choice and check out that show as well. Uh, It is an absolute belter. Uh, And the film itself, we've given it three stars? Yeah. Yeah. Three stars. For me, it'd be a very, very high three at the very least, if not not a little bit higher. But it's, it's, it's really interesting and it kind of lingers with you. All right, three stars then for Little Joe. And last but not least, Helen, you wanted to talk specifically about, 
I can't remember the name of it. To All the Boys I've Loved Before, P.S. I Still Love You. Okay. I think it's just called To All the Boys, P.S. I Still Love You. It's, it's very yeah, confusing. It's now To All the Boys, yeah. Yeah, but it's a That's sequel, it's a sequel to To All the Boys I Loved Before, which uh, is the Netflix movie that was a massive sensation. Lana Con- Condor stars as Lara Jean, who's a teenage girl who's who was in the habit of dealing with crushes that she had by writing a letter and not sending it to the boy involved. Mm -hmm. And then her little sister finds them one day. This is a spoiler for the first movie. Her little sister finds them and sends them off. (gasps) So suddenly she comes in school one day and all the boys she'd ever had a crush on know that she had a crush on them. Oh Oh my my God, you would literally die. Anyway, (laughs) but one of those boys is Peter Kavinsky, who's played by Noah Centino. Uh who's, of course, young Mark Ruffalo. Yes. (laughs) And um, young Mark Ruffalo gets this letter, is discombobulated by it, but has just broken up with his girlfriend, wants her back and and conceives a sort of fake relationship with Lara Jean. What? This is all in the first movie, okay? So hang on. Long story short, too late. Yeah. D- d- does it turn into a real relationship? It does! Oh my God. <laughs> oh right. my God. So now we all ship Peter Kavinsky we and Lara st- Jean. We stand. We stand. We stand them, and right? ship we them. Bastion. We both... We, Sub- we Sebastian, Sebastian them. Sorry, I forgot. I forgot that. Okay, so that was the that was the scene at the end of the last movie. Spoilers, but it's still adorable, and you should watch it. Okay, so there they are, hard fucking. It's all happening. No, oh my god, no! <laughs> what is wrong with you? They're going and out hot and heavy. Here's the problem: one of her letters didn't get a reply. It went to a boy in another school, John Ambrose McLaren, Ambrose. who's played by Jordan Fisher. He turns up this time. No. Now, I'll tell you the most fun to watch this movie. The most fun way to watch this movie. Is, is every to not time? Watch this movie. No, it's really it's adorable. <laughs> okay. It is it's adorable. An adorable film. Um, every time that that John Ambrose and Lara Jean are together, uh-huh. what's really fun is to shout "Homewrecker" and "Hussy" <laughs> at the screen. Uh, but who, like, who are you shouting at? Him or her? Both of them. He's a homewrecker. She's a hussy. Oh my god! That's right. Yeah, yeah. And what about Baby Mark Ruffalo? When I he's... know. Who's thinking about baby Mark Ruffalo? <laughs> That's what I want to know. He's just, he's little, he's only small and green. What and will happen? Yeah. What will happen? What will happen? <laughs> I'm not going to say. Anyway. Well, I do know that they, they I had a lot filmed the third one, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Not too many rom-coms have, uh, have sequels. So this yeah. is cool. This mm. is all based on a hit series of books. So, yeah. you, you know, if you want the spoilers, they're out there. But, um, but yeah, it's not quite as adorable as the first film, but this is still pretty adorable. And uh, just an a, a absolutely gorgeous, lovely little cast. So uh, Noah Centineo mm-hmm. is baby Mark Ruffalo. Who's yeah. Lana Condor? Is she, who's she baby one? She's baby... She's kind of, I don't know, baby Constance Wu, I guess, is the most obvious. Um, but she's... Again, just adorable uh, and fantastic in this role. Really, really fantastic. Okay. Sounds like you'd go more than what we gave it. No, I mean, I think three is, fi- is fine. Oh. It's not a film with pretensions oh. of being, you know, deep and thoughtful and, and great. It's very much it a three-star week. It is a bit of a three-star yeah. week. This, of course, is on Netflix. You cannot go see this film at the multiplex. You have to see this film and, of course, the first one. Um, you can binge watch films now. I oh guess you can, you can binge watch both these movies and catch up with the adventures of Baby Hulk. Which I understand that's what it's about, Helen. That's what I took away from it. <laughs> Baby Maybe Hulk. it could be like a multi-generational um, Columbo. Oh, hey, oh my, the mind has just been blown. <sighs> Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second. Baby Columbo. Baby Columbo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just one more thing. The case Columbo of the missing dummy. Baby. <laughs> He'll solve the case for <laughs> you. <laughs> Ma- Columb- Muppet? Muppet baby. Muppet Columbo. Anyway, yes. Uh, to all the boys, P.S. I Love You is out now on Netflix and we gave it three stars. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. 
Well, we will be joined by Elizabeth Moss, <laughs> star hey. of The Invisible Man, and... And? And Richard Stanley, director of Colour Out of Space. Whoa. The ill-fated, of course, Island of Dr. Moreau, hardware, and uh, he's a really interesting director, mm. and... Um, that interview is going to be conducted very late in the day next next Friday, by the way, which means that next week's podcast might be up a little later than usual because then we'll have to edit the interview and then drop it into the show. So it might take a little while. He's not coming in here until about five o'clock or so, so on Friday. But schedules is as schedules does, as far as Gump once said, and <laughs> we have to we have to work with that uh, because the film's out next week. The film is out next week, and yeah. what I meant to say about the Dublin show because we're recording it on the evening of the sixth which is the Friday, March 6th, Mm -hmm. that won't be up until at least the Saturday, but more likely the Sunday, the 8th. But don't worry. Oh, my God. We got your back, and we're going to try and put up some special, uh, non-spoiler special content for you to to fill the void, so to speak. Okay, so we got you. I guess. We got you. Uh, But anyway, until next week, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Amon Warman. Peace. It is goodbye from Helena O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. You know, if you have one takeaway from this week's Empire podcast, it's this. Don't take a fucking takeaway into the pod booth. <laughs> now I have to fumigate this place, quite frankly. But hey-ho, this is the cross we bear. Surely if you have one takeaway from this week's podcast, it should be that takeaway. We should have had that takeaway. We should have had the takeaway. <laughs> Damn it. Helen, this is a life we lead, the life we chose. And there is only one guarantee. At my command. Unleash hell. (laughs) Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.